Hi everyone, this is Dr. Cheryl Selman and welcome to The Love Code. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have you with me today for another episode of Inspiring Conversations. This show was created, it was born out of the intention to offer spiritual support, sustenance, inspiration. I think this is so important, especially during these days, to be able to listen to this journeys of so many people who've had incredible experiences reminding us of the power we have to create, to heal, to transform, and to live a life in peace. So as always, I have another wonderful guest that I am so looking forward to having on the show. And I'm just going to jump right in because we have lots to talk about. Today we're focusing on creating peace in chaotic times. And I have very special guest who's going to be sharing his journey and his wisdoms with us, and that is Udo Erasmus. So a little bit about Udo. He has an extensive education in biochemistry, genetics, biology, and nutrition, including a master's degree in counseling psychology. He is the co-founder of Udo's Choice Line. Udo designed the machinery for making oils with health in mind and pioneered flax oil, a billion-dollar industry. However, Udo walked a difficult path to become the man he is today. Being a child of war, Udo's life began with intense struggle. As an adult, he got pesticide poisoning, leaving doctors at a loss regarding treatment. Deciding to take his health into his own hands, Udo began researching And his discoveries led him to a passion for finding the answers to life's big questions, which would hopefully one day bring him and the world peace. Today, Udo is an acclaimed speaker and author of many books, including the best-selling Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill. He has keynoted an international brain health conference, has traveled to over 30 countries to conduct thousands of live presentations, media interviews, and staff training impacting more than 25 million lives with his message on oil, health, peace, nature, and human nature. Well, we have such an amazing interview in store for you, and it's my great privilege and honor to welcome Udo Rasmus to the show today. It's so wonderful having you here, Udo. Thanks for being here. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Doc. Well, you are an inspiration, I have to tell you, and, uh, you know, I I think so many people know who you are from your work with flaxseed oil and your book, Fast, Sad, Heal, Fast, Sad, Kill, but we're going to veer it into a different direction uh, today. We're Mm going to be talking about one of your passions, I I believe it's one of your passions, Udo, about creating peace in chaotic Mm -hmm. times. I think we begin to give people a sense of your journey and who you are and why this is such a passion for you, a bit about your personal journey in this lifetime. So I'll I'll let you start there. Let's explore that. Okay. Okay. So, well, why peace? Why would peace be be of importance to somebody like me? Well, it's because I was a, I was a, a child in war. I was two and a half years old when we were refugees who were fleeing out of Poland into Germany. My parents had come from Latvia and Estonia. So Poland was a stop-off. It was part of Germany at the time. And we had German-Swedish backgrounds. So, I mean, it was a mess. 
And we were refugees at two and a half on dirt roads. Uh, my mother had six kids that were six years and younger with her by herself in a horse-drawn hay wagon on a dirt road in winter. And the communists were chasing us in trucks and tanks. And, and that was okay because the horse was okay. But except the horse was pretty tired there too, actually, because they didn't have time to feed the horses and do all that stuff either, because it was, it was, everybody was rushing trying to get the hell out. But the other thing that was worse was that the good guys, the allies, you know, the guys we call the good guys, they were, there was no military presence on those roads, but the allies were flying planes over those roads and were shooting at the refugees. So they were using us as target practice. I was two and a half years old. It was really intense. I didn't feel safe. Uh, there was so much anxiety. People changed their mind every day, you know. And yes, in a, it's probably not the the, the best place to bring up a, a kid that's two years old is on a horse-drawn hay wagon with, with problems from the back and problems from the front. And so eventually, my mother couldn't handle. Uh, staying on the road, so she went off the road through the fields, through the snow, because it, was because it was safer than being on the road. But she couldn't handle six kids either, so she had to leave four of them behind. And I was one of the ones left behind. They left us with the farmer, and I ended up in an orphanage. And it's a long, it's a long story. We eventually got reunited, but it was pretty intense. So I have ha had an interest in peace since that time, basically. And uh, why? Because you know how bad, I knew how bad it could get. I did not want to repeat performance in my life. And so I was always, the question for me was always, how can, live pe how can people live in harmony? And then when I was six-year-old and listened to people argue, it, it occurred to me, I'm going to find out how people can live in harmony. And that's been my driver all my life. You know, not a straight road. <laughs> No, it was, wasn't like I was always focused, but it was always there. What can I do to find out how people can live in harmony? And uh, that's why I went into science to understand how things work and into biosciences, how creatures work, and into psychology to figure out how thinking work works. Those are good, good topics to understand if you're trying to understand how people can live in harmony on this planet. And then I took a year of medicine to find out what health is, but we were only learning about disease. So, and the, the dean told me they don't know what health is. They're still working on it. That's what he told me. That was in 1964. And, and, uh, and then we were told that a doctor should always sound as though he knows what's going on, even when he doesn't. We call that lying on the farm that I lived on. And I, that ended my medical career because I wasn't going to spend my life, uh, um, lying to people. You know, if I didn't know, I say, well, maybe I can find out and I'll research it and blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I'm not going to tell people I know when I don't know. I'm not just going to make stuff up because I think people are too stupid to understand. And that's basically what they're asking doctors to do. And um, I don't know. That just doesn't, like, that doesn't make any sense. So I went back into bio, biochemistry and genetics because in biochemistry and genetics and in biological sciences, you're actually studying health because you're studying the normal behavior of normal creatures in normal situations. You're not studying disease when you're studying biology because the, 
you know, the creatures you study in biology, when they get sick, they die pretty quick. So, so the focus there is just how it works when it's working rather than how it's not working when it's not working. So anyway, I, I left, and then I left university because I, I didn't find soul in psychology. Psychology means study of soul. I didn't find life in the study of biology. I, we learned about form and function, but not about life. And I wanted to know what life is. And so I left university and eventually got into self-knowledge. Because even in biology, I said to my lab partner, you know, we should really study ourselves because in ourselves, we have the form and the function and the life all together. And if we can just focus in, be, be more present in what's going on in the space that our body occupies, we can probably learn a lot about health and about biology. Because in, when we did it, when we studied other creatures, you know, if they started alive, by the time we were done, they were dead. We missed, missed the life. The life was gone. And we had learned something about form and function. And so I wanted to know what life is. So somehow that seems like when, a, when this planet is special because it has life on it, maybe knowing life is an important it's an important uh, story, you know. So And so then I got into self-knowledge, and, of course, the peace that I was looking for as an alternative to war is actually everywhere. Peace has always been everywhere. So the title, Creating Peace, I would say, no, no, we're not creating peace. We are rediscovering it because the peace is already here. But here's the problem with the peace is if you don't, you know, there are probably people right now listening saying, well, what do you mean peace is everywhere? I don't see it. Well, I, we don't, I don't see peace unless peace in me is looking. My access to peace is to be present in the core of my own being, way beyond thoughts and mind, beyond emotions, beyond even life energy, in an awareness that is completely stable, that is the foundation, that is that is, um, that's really the, the origin of my existence. I came out of peace. The whole universe was created out of peace and unfolds in a container of peace that has no dimensions and no content. The peace has no content. So it's a part of human nature. It's a part of everything in nature. It's a part of space. It's, it's everywhere. But the question is, how do, we become, how, does it, how do we make it accessible? How do we bring our awareness to that peace that exists everywhere? And that requires a stillness practice. See, when you become really still, even just I'm, I'm doing it right now just for a couple of seconds, but when I can become completely still, I already feel peace. Now, I'm good at it because I've been at it for 50 years. But it takes time to, to practice that. So, in, so peace in chaotic time, to, to give the context, peace is always everywhere. And peace never changes. So it's your stable point. It's your anchor. It's your foundation. Everything else changes. Love flows through you. Thoughts flow through you. Thoughts flow through you. You know, you drink water. It flows through you. you. You pour it in the bottom and you drain it out. The, you, you 
pour it in the top, you drain it out the bottom, and you drink your body's weight in water about 15 times every year. So enormous, enormous flow of water through your body, so that's not stable. And your oxygen goes in and gets turned, changed into carbon dioxide, and that goes through you. And your minerals and vitamins and the, the nutrients you take, they flow through the space your body occupies. That's why you have to keep eating because your body's always turning over. But all of that activity is taking place in a container of peace. And then you look at the outside world, everything is, is always changing. The seasons change, the leaves are off the trees where I am. I don't know where you are, but the leaves are off the tree. We've got snow on the branches, uh, you know, and uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, it snowed and then it all melted because it, it was sort of in, always in between rain and snow. And then it snowed again overnight. There was another five inches of snow and now that's melting. You know, and then the buds come out and the birds fly around and the people buzz around and sometimes they like you and sometimes they don't like you, so you can't depend on that. You know, and your thoughts change because one day, you know, you have a belief and you're really pretty sure that this is your truth. And then something happens and you have an experience that shows you that your belief is unfounded and then you got to change it. And then, so, so change is always happening everywhere. And your senses monitor change. You know, you, you see change and, and you're attracted to change because it's for survival that you need, you need to assess it. Is this friend, in which case you embrace it? Is this foe, in which case you run or fight? Or is this irrelevant, in which case you ignore it? But you have to do that because it, everything is always changing. So when we get, when we get um, stressed by change, it's because the change is happening faster than, than we want it to. You know, we, we, we can deal with change, but the slower the change, the easier it is to deal with. The more you can anticipate what's going, the more you can make, you, you can make plans for how to deal with it. But when it happens fast, and it happens faster and faster, and that's what's happening in the human world with all of our knowledges and all of our topics and, you know, I mean, you know, and all of our gadgets and all of our technology. I mean, things are happening so fast, it's impossible to keep up. And then somebody takes away your distractions by locking you down or by, by telling you you can't go to here or go to there, you know, and then, and then we get really confused. And then we get angry because <clears throat> I want to be able to do this. This is my right. And why, why are you telling me I can't do that? You know, and then I'm at home and then I'm with people that I don't like that much because we haven't really created a, a maybe we haven't done enough to create loving relationships and then we get frustrated and then we have chaos in our house you know, and on and on it goes and we live in times where that's happening everywhere. And yet at the same time that all of this stuff is going on, my house and my body and the space outside of my house and the entire universe is filled with a peace that is also accessible to me if I know how to access it. And when I can do that, then I actually have a choice. Do I want to focus on the change or do I want to focus on the peace? And then we give, you give the change its due and you give the peace its due.
pieces for you. The changes you you having to deal with what's changing. So that's a that's a very quick run through of of uh, of the topic. So what you're saying is so profound that the the goal of life and really all spiritual practices and teachers are guiding people to find that peace within, which is the only place you can find it. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious for you personally, what was the key that opened up that peace inside you? Okay. I, there are two things that took place, really one thing that took place. This is probably, I would say this is the most profound experience I've ever had. Happened in 1970. Uh, I was at that time 28 years old. I came from a family that was nominally Lutheran, but their church and their religion was more nature because they didn't like, my father especially, he didn't like big business, he didn't like big government, he didn't like big religion, he didn't like big medicine. And for him, nature had the right pace, and he liked his to be by himself. And one of his famous sayings that he said over and over is, I just want to be left alone. You know, and this I came, I mean, <laughs> I probably would have been like that too if I'd have gone through the the uh, First World War, followed by the Bolshevik Revolution, followed by the Depression, followed by the Second World War in Europe. And so he just liked the idea, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like that, I just want to be by myself, and I want to just hang out in nature, because because I'm, I'm very disappointed with the human race, and I just really don't want to have more any more to do with it than I have to. Of course, you have to deal with some of it. Um, so... And so when we ask the deeper questions about why am I here and what happens when I die and, 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 and you know, who am I and all of those kind of questions, they, they told us, you know, you need to re- research that for yourself and you need to come to your own conclusions about that. And I really like that they did that because they didn't impose anything on us when we, when we were too young to question it. But they told us to question everything. And so I decided at one point, when I was in 27 probably, I decided that uh, I wanted to know the story of the masters. And since I came out of a Christian culture, this was the Jesus, the, the Christ culture. Because it occurred to me one day that my grandfather had, had been dead for less than 50 years. I didn't even know his name, and nobody ever talked about him. And here's this guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and they're still talking about him. And I said, and, and I, 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 I want to know why there, what, what was the difference between him and my grandfather. I wasn't even thinking about myself. But there must have been something there. So I got a red letter edition. And I, I read it. You know, red letter edition is of the Bible where you, 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 um, everything Jesus said is in red and everything everybody else said and everything else is in black ink. And I wanted to know what the master, what, what did he talk about? What is the story? And I wanted to get as close as I could to the master, even though it was 2,000 years later. And um, so I, I started putting little things he, that he said to the test. And I had some really interesting, interesting experiences. 
And then one day, uh, there was a group of people who called themselves the Jesus People's Army. They came from California up the coast of British Columbia. And I thought, well, these must be people who are asking the same questions I'm asking, and they maybe have learned something that I haven't learned yet, and we'll ha- I'm, I'm going to hang out with them and learn what I can from them, and maybe something I've learned I can pass on to them too. That's a nice a group of, of uh, you know, a group with a common purpose to understand what is true and what is beautiful and what is amazing and what is divine, right? So, and I, they had a coffee house. I walked into the coffee house, sat at the table. Other, other guy swooped in the chair be, beside me. And I looked at him. I didn't introduce myself. I said to him, it must be possible to see God and live. And uh, because we had been told as kids, if you see God, you die. And to me, it was like, well, where is that fair? You're supposed to be worshiping God, and you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be obedient to God, and you don't get to know him. And then if you do get to know him, he kills you. <laughs> you know, what kind of a God is that? So, so I said, it must be possible to see God and live. And then there's, in the Bible, there's like Isaiah saw him, and, and Elisha saw him, and Moses saw him, and Jesus saw him. Why not me? Why not any of us? That was my, kind of my question. And so, and I wanted to experience what he experienced when I got into it. I wanted to experience what was his experience. Because out of his experience came his sermons, Sermon on the Mount, came, came his healings, came his wisdom, came the stuff that we're still talking about. So what is it, what, and nobody said you can't, can't experience what he experienced. Nobody said that. So anyway, so I, so I said this. It must be possible to see God and live. And he went ballistic. And he jumped out of his chair and he pointed his finger at me. And he was like probably six foot five or something. You know, young guy, lots of energy. He said, you're from the devil. You're from the Antichrist. Get out. <laughs> so I go out. So I walk out of this place and I'm like, what just happened? I got so confused because I was sincere. I really wanted to know, and I was, that was really painful. Oh. <laughs> so what I used to do, I used to go to into nature to clear my head when I got confused, when, it, when things went too fast, when, when there was chaos or there was things were moving too fast. Uh, I would go into nature, just hang out by myself in nature because the pace is right and, you know, things are beautiful and the trees don't yell at you and, you know, the, the surf comes in and you can, you can uh, depend on the waves crashing on in themselves. And, you know, so I went to a, an island, decided to spend a weekend on, on that island on the beach, went to sleep in a, in, a, in a little plastic dwelling somebody had made over the driftwood logs. And in the middle of the night, I woke bolt upright from dead asleep. And there was a being made of light. And I didn't believe in stuff like that. I don't believe in stuff like that. It was this being made of light. I couldn't tell if it was male or female, and I couldn't tell whether it was old or young. But it was a human being made of light, in a robe, with long hair, um, embodying a message. No words. Didn't say anything. There was no label on his, on his forehead. I am so-and-so, whatever. But I could put message, I couldn't put words to what he, this being embodied. 
And the words were, I am come not to judge but to love. I am come not to judge but to love. And it, the moment that those words came, my my confusion and my desperation and my, um, yeah, my totally evaporated. And I have never had a question of what was the essence of the master's teaching. I am come not to judge, but to love. And it was perfect because first I got the judgment and then I got the message. And I am come not to judge, but to love became my standard. And then the question is, you, you set a high standard and then you, you notice every time, you know, if you, if you set the standard and commit to it, every time you don't live up to that standard, you notice that you, that you didn't live up to the standard. And then the learning begins. Because I want to live to that standard. And every time I fail, learning happens. That's why failure can be such a useful tool. So, and then I would start to look as well, why didn't I? act with love instead of judgment in a situation. And then it comes down, you look at all of your beliefs that you have behind it and all the experiences you have and the memories of trauma that you have. And then you can look at that and say, well, you know what? If I want to live according to the standard, I am come not to judge but to love, then I'm going to have to disconnect some of my triggers of the, the beliefs that are out of line with that. And so I started doing that. And then eventually I got into a, a practice of bringing awareness inside and taking it deeper and deeper and deeper inside. And then I recognized actually that message, I am come not to judge, but to love, is not just the master's message to humanity. And all the masters, I'm not talking about all of them, Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, all of those, the, the ones that were the great masters of the ages. But that's also life's message to your body. Because life, the life which is solar energy, which is uh, stored in bonds between atoms in molecules that plants make, and then animals eat those plants, people eat those plants, and those are, they're broken down, the molecules are absorbed, they then get broken down in our cells, that solar energy is released, and that's the energy we live on. Now, when, when, it's, when it's in our body, we call it life. When it's outside shining on the earth, we call it solar energy. Same, same. And then when we get to know that energy subjectively by focusing on the light and the sound and the feeling inside the space our body occupies, then we call that life or the master. Because that energy is the master of the body because it's everywhere present, all-powerful, and all-knowing in our body. Runs, weighs nothing, runs the show, and that energy is indestructible, it's formless, and that energy never gets sick, never dies, and never gets freaked out. You cannot, you know, and every drama and trauma that goes on in your life affects your mind, your emotions, your social circles, your environment never affects life 
or peace, the awareness, or the energy that keeps you alive, never affects those. Cannot affect those. The, the unconditional love that life has for your body goes on no matter what your trauma is. Until, until life and the body part company. And so, so that, that's, that's a, a long, maybe a long answer to, my, to, to the, your short question. How, to, how did that happen well, for me? Well, you know, what a profound moment that, that has changed your life forever, actually. It was that, you know, yep. I, as I'm listening to your story, it was, it, these are my words. So, you know, I just, I own it. This is how I look at things. But it was like your, your soul was yearning to, to wake up to who you are. It was like this, some, you don't even know where this urge came from, right? To learn from the masters, to get to the Bible, to all of a sudden this became so important for you. Mm-hmm. And out of yeah. that strong desire, that you, didn't, mm-hmm. you know, strong desire to connect with that spiritual essence, you were given mm-hmm. this gift of this experience, this vision. Yep. That, yep. that has guided you throughout your whole life. And the interesting thing yep. about any wake-up call, any wake-up experience, it's like it, it gives you that moment that when you realize there's such a deep sense of peace and power and love, mm-hmm. and then you kind of have to go in and do the work to sustain yep. it, to maintain it, exactly. to be it, yep. right? And, yeah, and, I, and the question, because it, it, <clears throat> it became a memory, you know, the longer – you know, time as time passed, it became more and more of a memory. <clears throat> My question became, there must be a way that I can live in the experience that I had, not not with the, not with the, the picture of the of of a being made of light, but in the feeling of that experience. There must be a way that I can live in that experience on a moment to moment basis, and that's what led me to to uh, finding a method that to practice every day so because my senses go out automatically every day uh, attracted by change so change attracts us and then at the same time it it uh, it creates chaos in our life but going back to the foundation where the peace is that has to be deliberate because there's nothing inside of you going hey look at me look at me look at me but what you do get and maybe that's the other half of the story is that when your heart aches, if you, you know, which is like if somebody, if you're in a relationship and somebody dumps you, or you made, a, you made an agreement with somebody and they broke the agreement, or you tried for something and you didn't get it, or your grandmother dies and you're really sad, or you feel lonely, or you feel sad, or you feel... Uh, empty or you feel restless there's a, there's something missing i started feeling that was when i was 17 and i couldn't shake it and I, that was with me all the time feeling in my chest was not based on cardiovascular problems was based on something is missing something is lost that that feeling that feeling of loss actually when you when you separate it from the what triggers it that feeling of loss is not about grandma and it's not about the person who dumped you that feeling is your uh the feeling of your heart calling your attention to come back home inside 
to its source in life where your wholeness and your peace and your unconditional love reside. And that and, and we got disconnected from it. We lost that connection starting when we were born. Because when we were in our mother's womb, there was nothing to do. There was nowhere to go. Everything was provided and it was relatively safe. So there was no place for our awareness to go, our focus of awareness to go. So our focus of awareness, we were floating in what I call it the Buddha tank, you know, the womb. We were floating in, the, in this little Buddha tank, and the body was being built. We were not building the body. Life was doing that. And our awareness was at rest inside, in its source, inside of our, our little body, in that love and in that peace. So we actually started our life, all of us. If we were uh, you know, normal-term babies, we started our journey in, uh, with nine months of deep meditation. We had no language. We didn't know our parents. We didn't have a culture. We didn't have a religion. <clears throat> we were just biological beings in touch with the entire universe. And then we came out, and then we got out, and then we got disconnected. So awareness went from present inside, absent outside, to present outside, absent inside. And that's where heartache began. And then whenever, then we tried to fix it on the outside with people and with things and all of the things we do in the world. And it never works. And whenever it, something ends when we didn't want it to end, then we're thrown back to our, that feeling of loss. And it's the feeling of our loss, of our connection to the depths of our own being. And that's the driving force for the journey that made me look at the red letter edition. Because mm -hmm. because everything I did, was, I was trying to find, there's something missing, there's something missing. There's <clears throat> and it took me 30, 13 years of that heartache and not being able to shake it before I actually found out what that heartache is. And fundamentally what I need to do, which is to sit with the heartache. Instead of, we don't like it, we distract ourselves from it. And I say, no, sit with it. Sit with the heartache. Feel it. You might have some tears, but just feel it. Don't judge it. Just let it be. <clears throat> Accept it. Acknowledge it. Embrace it. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't try to try to deny it or talk yourself out of it. Just feel it. Be with it. Sit quietly. And because less than hair's breadth behind that heartache is your wholeness. And the and the heartache is the call to come home. I call the heart that heartache the second greatest gift you've been given, other than being alive. Because if it wasn't for that heartache we would get lost in the world and we would never find our, our way home to ourselves. Well, that's so profound because when we are in a place of discomfort, whether it's you know, emotional pain, physical pain, um, yeah. the tendency in our culture is to um, use some distraction or to, you yeah. know, remediated in some way, but we never really want to just sit and be with that experience. 
And I, I'll just right. I'll just share with you um, something that happened to me. I, I was doing a ten days of a pasana training, and that's just you know for ten days you're in silence. Yeah, ten days of ten days of silence. Just, yeah, right. And you're just observing, and you're just observing. You go through your body and you observe it. And towards the ninth day or so, my back was really sore, sitting there <laughs> meditating for all these hours a day, and. Um, so I had this experience of, okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to name it as pain. I'm just going to ob- observe this sensation that's going on in my body, just relax into it, and just notice how it presents as a sensation rather than judging it and naming it. And you know what? It, it just transformed. The pain was gone. And that was a profound moment of what you're saying. I bet. I bet. In a way, I've told you the the same story. Only it took me thirteen years. <laughs> well, we do. We all, you know, whatever time it takes us. But you know what? It's just, yeah. and that has that has that lesson, that experience has stayed with me ever since. So when I'm dealing yeah. with any kind of pain, physical, emotional, whatever, I've learned to just let it be, observe it, notice it. Notice yeah. where it's in the body and how it feels, but not to try to force it to stop, right, or medicate yeah. it in some way. Yeah. And it's been a great gift uh, on this yeah. journey that we're on of, you know, reconnecting, remembering the true self. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and what a gift. What a gift that – because that gift, you know, sometimes when our heart aches, either we distract ourselves from it or we blame something for it. You know, why terrorism happens is some people who are discontent – and this discontent is just a natural part of the human journey. So then they blame it on somebody. And then they then they come up with, well, if we bomb the trade towers, or if we do this, or if we do that, or if we do that, or if we get even, or if we uh, find a way to screw them up, ah, then we'll feel okay again. That's the blame game. But it never feels better. It never ends. That never ends because it doesn't address the issue in the way the issue needs to be addressed in order to be resolved. And the same thing with distractions. Either it's drugs or it's alcohol or it's sex or it's a million dollars, then it's $10 million, then it's a billion dollars, you know. And every time you maybe, you get three days where you say, yay, I did it. And on the day, on the fourth day, that heartache is back or letdown is back or you, is that all there is, you know, is, you know, I expected more from my success, from my accomplishment. And it and the accomplishments on the outside don't satisfy the need on the inside. The reconnection can only happen inside because the disconnection only happens inside. But then we, we transpose it and we think, oh, well, you know, it was the wrong person. You know, my relationship, oh, my, I, I picked the wrong person. And then we think there's another person that would be the right person that would fix it for us. But the truth is, our heartache comes from us not having finished our homework. And we then want somebody else to do the homework for us. And it doesn't work. Every human being needs to do the homework. If they want peace and they want to feel unconditionally loved, they need to do the homework that that finishes their journey from connected to disconnected into the world and then back to being connected. And when people do this kind of kind of sitting still 
meditation or or awareness practice or whatever you call it when they when they start feeling the peace again it's not strange for them it's not the first time because we spent we spent months in that place before we came into the world so that place when we when we go there to through the stillness practice actually feels quite familiar and very comfortable and it's light and it's relaxed and it's nice and we and we belong because we belong to life we belong to life more than we belong to a nation or a religion or a group or a culture we belong more to life than any of those and the experience of belonging to life is more profoundly satisfying than any of those other experiences You know, I was just going to say, as people in these chaotic times choose yeah. to turn inward rather than to spend hours watching the television or playing yeah. you know, solitaire or whatever, if people choose to use this time and find whatever tools they want, you're yeah. you're actually, amongst other things, fortifying your body for health, right? Mm-hmm. Fortifying yep. your body rather than being... So vulnerable to the virus of fear. Yep. Feeling peace and feeling love actually reverses aging, physical aging, reverses it. And stress makes you age faster. So to have a place, you know, when when the lockdowns happen, you know, everybody talks about it's the big deal for the last couple of years. When the lockdown happened, I started saying to people, listen, if you can't go outside, go inside. Because there's nothing stopping you from becoming more present in the magnificence of your own existence, in the beauty of your own being, in the love of your own nature. And when you feel that, when you become good at it, and now you're locked down for two years, you know, you've had two years where every day you could have done an hour, could have done 15 minutes, could have done two hours, maybe some days five hours, because you couldn't go anywhere and do anything except eat and eat and poo, right? And uh, and uh, and then and then instead of making trouble because you you get you go stir crazy, relax into relax into the mastery that is the core of your own being. Hmm. So if you can't go outside, go inside. And I think uh, you know this this whole situation. In a couple of months, everybody was at home thinking about what is life about. So it's a very profound spiritual implications to something that maybe maybe a good idea or maybe a bad idea because you're either for or against it, right? But profound spiritual in, uh, uh, implications because all of the distractions that you're used to all of a sudden weren't available to you. You couldn't just do what you wanted. And so the so but what was open to you is sitting still and doing nothing. And what I did, I, I turned my television off, you know, because every day, every day, every day, the same thing, same thing, same thing. And I turned my television off and sat in my living room and I looked around and I said, oh my God, it is so peaceful in my home when I turn off the television. Because the television is not exactly the place where your peace comes from. Because they're always stirring you up. There's always something. There's always something that, creates fear and creates confusion or creates 
creates action. Well, why do you need that? <laughs> you can't go anywhere. <laughs> but they push it anyway. And so I turned my TV off. I, I haven't turned it back on. I, I don't know. It's been pretty close to a year. And I used to be, I used to be a, a news hound. Watch the news every night, every stuff. And partly for me, I was doing it because I wanted to see if there was anything going on in the world that is not made better. Because they always talk about all the problems, right? If there was any problems in the world that are not made better by more love, by more care, by more heart, by more peace. And of course, I never found anything. But it was, it was, you know, but on the news, you get everything that's wrong anywhere. So you get to look at, you know, anything I hadn't thought about, well, the news, the news brought me the problem. And I could then process, process the solution. So, so it was useful in that way. But after a while, it was always the same story and always the same, same stuff. I just turned on my television. I guess I've graduated from television. <laughs> that's an accomplishment, too. <laughs> well, what, uh, you know, uh, there's no doubt that you have explored many modalities on the spiritual path that was mm-hmm. awakened in you. What are some mm-hmm. of the um, um, strategies or tools, uh, practices that you would recommend to people? Right. Yeah, this, this, is the, this is the biggest question people ask. There are a couple. This is one of them. How do I do that? You know, you want you say, okay, peace is possible. You have it. It's within you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do I do that? And it's always funny to me, that question, because we are so addicted to doing that we don't recognize to begin with that this is a matter of sitting still is a matter of undoing. Because you want to go from doing to being. Because being is your foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the I am, who, who am I? The being is the foundation. So what you, what you want to do is do less. And then it's like, well, you know, then I say, okay, well, I sit, try to sit still. But then I got really bored because there was nothing happening. That's just a sign of how addicted you are to doing stuff and how unfamiliar you are by practice to just being present in the space that your body occupies and especially in the energetic and the awareness presence of the space that your body occupies. Not physical, energetic and awareness. And so what I say to people is, when you get bored, first of all, love it, fall in love with bo- the boredom because you're on the right track. You're already somewhat out of your doing addiction. And you're not quite to the place yet where you find the light within you because there's light within you. You can see it. And that light is life and that life is you. You can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can even taste it. But you have to invert your senses. You have to, you have to sense inward and allow your focus to go inward. And sometimes you can, you know, you can tense your muscles and then, you know, like really hard and then relax them and notice that your awareness 
goes inward somewhat. Or you can just sit still and notice all the sensations in your body without giving them any more than your attention. Feel what it feels like, what it sounds like, what it looks like. And be present without judgment. And don't try to figure out, oh, well, where, where's that sound coming from? Where's that light coming from? Uh, how come I'm having that feeling? Don't even question it. Just feel it. Just feel it. And, you know, maybe if you, if you can get there, enjoy it. It's okay to feel what you feel. And whether, you know, if you see thoughts going, it's okay to have thoughts going. But don't give them a take. Don't, don't, like, notice the thoughts, but don't judge them. And don't say, oh, I shouldn't have any thoughts. No, they come and go. And if you just let them come and go, you know, you can be, folk, you know, or you can follow your breath because there are no thoughts in your breathing. And then if you want to do that, then what you do is you breathe normally. Maybe you slow it down a little bit and breathe lightly. Like, don't go, <clears throat> not like that. Don't drag it through your body. But see if you can breathe soundlessly, slowly, soundlessly, lightly, or you just sit down in a safe place, turn off all your gadgets, all your, all your distractions, and see how still you can become. Instead of see how much noise you can make or see how many logs you can move or see how many nails you can pound into wood or, or how many pieces of paper you can process on your desk and then put into the pipeline or... Um, you know, instead of trying to see how much you can do, see how still you can become. Just like if you were playing hide and seek and you were kind of exposed and the guy who is going to find you is going to catch you out and he's going to put you out, right? See if you can be so still that he won't notice you. No movement, no sound. Just so quiet. And then see how deeply still you can become. And then see how long you can stay there. And see if you can go even deeper. And notice what there is in that stillness, especially in the space your body occupies. And you'll... And then in that stillness, do that light breathing. And if you do that a few times, you'll notice that it, within minutes, you feel refreshed and relaxed. And actually, there's research that shows that when you do meditation, you actually get more rest than when you're sleeping. Well, so, well, that's interesting. Because when you're sleeping, your mind is still active and you're having dreams. I had some really crazy dreams last night, you know. But when you're sitting still and you're deliberately going into that stillness, you get so much rest. And so much in your body gets to rest. And so much in your body and in your mind gets better. And you have now a space that is independent and unaffected by anything crazy that's going on in your mind, in your emotions, in your social circles, and your environment. 
And in a way, I, I would say that if you go deep enough into that, you will find the Christ experience or the Buddha experience. You know, enlightened means lit up from within. So you know, Buddha was <laughs> Buddha sat down really quietly. We saw light. Yeah, that's that's one of the techniques of meditation. There's light in your darkness. There's sound in your silence, and there's love in your emptiness. And so there's and there's like and then there are people who teach different methods. The one you talked about, the vipassana, ten days of silence. That's one. There, there are people who relax into difficult situation, like co- really cold water. That's a that's a a focus practice. Uh, there are people who do mantra meditation. Uh, there are people who just focus on their senses, but inwardly. So there's there's lots of different ways. The thing is that uh, they they these help. Because these can help at the beginning to stabilize your focus. But in the end, being present in your own space is not the result of a formula. Being, there is no formula for being, except the only formula for being is an equal sign. Equal sign. What is the formula for being? Is. Am. Be. So, Somewhere along the line, the formula, because the formula is, is a mental structure. You're trying to go past the mental structure, past the emotional structure, and go into the raw reality of your own existence. And it is so beautiful there. That's where heaven on earth lives. It is so beautiful there. And if, if people are... You know, seeking that peace, mm-hmm. things will show up. You know, maybe it's this conversation that we've had, or maybe it's mm-hmm. uh, you know a book, or maybe something shows up in your email of a course. So we will always be, we'll be receiving those hearts' desires, right? We'll find yeah. a way, but you have to pay attention yeah. to yeah, it's the a, signs. Yeah, it's a question of uh, do you want that? You know, when you're, and sometimes people, you know, when things are going okay, they don't want it. It's when the war starts that people want yeah. peace. You know, or when, you know, when, when, the, when there's chaos in your, in your situation, then you say, oh, I wish I had a solution. Well, the solution, is, you are the solution, and the solution is within you, and it's your deeper being that is the solution. You have it with you, right? And, and knowing that is important, but then the question is, how much do you want it? Because depending on whether you want it, just like maybe sometimes a little, if, if the, the doo-doo really hits the fan, you know, then you'll do it sometimes. But is this something to commit to, that you want to commit to, do every day, just like you eat your bacon and eggs or your, your whatever, your oatmeal every day and have lunch every day and go to the bathroom every day and sleep every day, Spending time in stillness needs to be added to the list of the things you habitually do every day of your life. Because every day the world is going to call you out and every day you can call yourself back and find your love and your peace. 
absolutely doable. Anyone can have the experience that the masters had because that's what the masters talked about. They all said the kingdom of heaven is inside of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I heard that before. <laughs> oh, yeah, I never did anything about it. <laughs> right? The kingdom of heaven is within you. Or what you have done to one of the least of these, talking about other people, that you have done to me. That only makes sense if I am in everything, says he. Yeah. I am in everybody. Life is the Christ experience. Life is Christ within you. Life is Buddha within you. Life is the master within you. And, and when you start to notice the energy, the solar energy and its play in the world, it's everywhere. It's in the trees, it's in the grass, it's in the animals, it's in the people. And if you, if you can see it within yourself, then you start to see the whole world different. And in a much more, in a, in a much more uh, well, in its, in its magnificence, in its beauty, in its, in its you know, and, and then, you, then everything becomes easier. Oh, and then all those people who get on your nerves, if you see the beauty in them because you see the beauty in yourself because you haven't gotten on your own nerves, right? <laughs> then then and, all of a sudden... You, all of a sudden, you can have a, a divine experience with the person you've been married to for 30 years. Very different. And maybe in the really good yeah. relationships, they do kind of do some of that. They don't expect the other to do the homework. They do their own homework, and then they bring that beauty into the relationship. You know, my, my question was always, in a relationship, there's supposed to be love, right? But if I can't get in touch with the unconditional love that is my essence... And she can't get in touch with the unconditional love that is her essence. Neither of us can bring it into the relationship because we don't know how to get in touch with it. Well, then where's the love in the relationship supposed to come from? Even if not from the two people who are in the relationship. Oh, I want a loving relationship. You have to do your homework. <laughs> we have to do the homework. If we, want the, if we want the best and the highest common denominator between people is that is that profound, all-encompassing peace and the profoundly empowering, unconditional love. And out of that comes vision, out of that comes joy, and then we can dance, and then we can play, and we can have fun because we're not expecting somebody else to do our homework for us. And, oh, and Udo, I think that's a, that's a good place to end, a good note, because we've come to yeah. the end of this wonderful okay. conversation. And, okay. Uh, you know, thank you for that inspiration. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for those words of wisdom that, yeah. uh, you know, so heartfelt, Udo. They're so heartfelt. Yeah. They, you know, and I hope they help 8 billion people live their lives in the profound way well, that is possible. It's going out into the ethers as we speak. So yeah. <laughs> thanks again. Good. We have to go. But people want to know All more right. about you. Go to your website, vudo.com, vudo.com. Yeah. And Udo, or, thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. We, it's actually, we have to go. Yeah. We're at the end. Yeah, yeah. What Udo's else? Choice, udoschoice.com. That's, we'll do that next one. <laughs> next time. Oh, uh, okay. Yep. Udoschoice.com. All right. Yep. Thank you, Udo. Blessings all right. to you. Blessings to Thank all you, listening. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. Thank Bye you. now. Remember right. to always to fill your life with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. <laughs>